Hey there, folks, and welcome to Bread and Poetry, a podcast about poetry and bread for everyone. I'm your host, Dinelli Antigua, Poet Laureate of Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and Poet Laureate of your hearts. On this podcast, we talk to the people in our community, the poets and the non-poets alike, about poetry and what it means to them. In the words of Roque Dalton, I believe the world is beautiful and poetry, like bread, is for everyone. With me today is Mike Nelson, former Poet Laureate of Portsmouth and now chair of the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program. I'll read his bio first. Mike grew up in New Hampshire and has been hanging around the poetry scene of Portsmouth and the seacoast for the last 20 years. He has been participating in Beat Night for 18 of its 23 years and hosting and organizing it for the last eight. Mike has three collections of poetry and is working on a fourth. Mike was the 11th Poet Laureate of Portsmouth from 2017 to 2019 and is currently the chair of the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program. He is also on the board of the Poetry Society of New Hampshire, the founder of Hive Poetry Project, B Monk Press, and Space B Studio. Welcome, Mike. Hi, Dave Nelly. Hey, how's it going? Good. I'm very happy to be here. We're... Well, I'm happy that you're here too. This is a an honor beyond honors to have a former poet laureate to interview on the podcast. And yeah, this is, this is awesome. Oh, the honor is all mine. All right. So let's break bread. Uh, okay. Yeah, you're, you're ready. You're I'm like, ready. Yeah, yeah. Where's the bread? So in your bio, you talk about your connection to Portsmouth and the surrounding areas. What other connections do you have to this area and what changes have you witnessed from from being in this area for for quite some time yeah well i first experienced of portsmouth i technically grew up in hudson new hampshire and londonderry later but i remember a sixth grade field trip to strawberry bank and that was i st- still have vivid memories of that pulling into town in the bus and going past the graveyards and just being really like from a kid who just was out in the woods his whole life. That was like my first experience of of like kind of like a city, you know? Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And then I loved Strawberry Bank. And I actually had I actually kind of had this might be a whole other podcast, but I had kind of a ghost experience. Well, you know what? I'm gonna write a note and we might talk about that later. Okay. But that didn't deter me from from loving Portsmouth. And so yeah, and then I lived in South Berwick for twenty years and that's, you know, twenty years ago when I started coming to poetry readings and in my early 30s. So, or maybe I was 30, actually. Yeah, 30 years old. But I, I loved everything about Portsmouth already. But then when I discovered the poetry scene, I was just so hooked. And there were other readings going on at the time, like Stone Pigeon reading. But the Hoot had started, the Hoot and Beat Night both started at the same time, mm-hmm. around the same time. Portsmouth is still still my favorite poetry haunt. <laughs> haunt, haunt ghosts. Oh, that's right. Ooh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and you know what? I mean, not to spoil it for the readers, but I feel like that kind of goes in line with some of the things that we might talk about later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the Portsmouth Poet Laureate program and maybe even some of the work that you've done as Poet Laureate when you were in that position and maybe more about like the mission of the program. Yeah. Yeah, the mission 
is was very appealing to me right from the start because it's all about community and that's their mission statement is like they're building community with poetry that's started 25 years ago i think paula race and mimi white were the ones who sort of headed it up and i mean incredible honor to be a part of the program and when i was laureate i i wanted to to bring poetry to people who didn't normally have an experience with it and even thinking of it as a therapeutic tool and so i did like three poetry classes during that time the one at the the chase home for children and the the recovery center over there i'm the name of it is escaping me listeners after recording mike remembered it was safe harbor recovery center and they can be reached at granitepathwaysnh.org we went to the International Institute of England in Manchester, actually, who deals with the refugees and immigrants. And the state laureate at the time, Alice Vogel, and I did a class there with them. And yeah, it was great. And we tried to put those poems into books and make them part of other things. Like we did the Beat Festival, and we got one of those refugee participants to come to that. And that became a fundraiser also. And so that's, that was the goal of, of my term. Plus, we got lucky, and the Prescott Park Arts Festival let us do poetry in the park before every week all summer long for two summers, doing poetry for just people. We we snuck up on them, you know. We they were there for the play, and then we were like, just before the play, we're going to give you some poetry. Yeah, and, but it was it was great. So yeah, that's awesome. And yeah. I guess how did that role transition into now being chair of the program? I think I. I had such a good experience and I just wanted to give back to it, you know, in another way and be part of the future of the program, which is your sort of heralding in, I think, a kind of, I hope, like a new era of the program, bring in a whole different style and kind of poetry and perspective and everything to the whole thing. So it's, it's really great. It's like I said before, it's, it's an honor for me to be a part of that with you and, you know, and part of this and just watch you do what you're doing and uh, engaging the community and building, building community with poetry in your own way. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Okay. So now is the time for my favorite question. What's your favorite kind of bread? Okay. This wasn't too hard <laughs> to think of this. It's garlic bread. Ooh, yes. Yeah. Cause I grew up, I have an Italian mother, and I was lucky to have a, an Italian mother who cooked for us all the time. And very specifically, though, she would, she would make her own sauce, and it would simmer on the stove all day. But then it's like when it got close to dinner time, the bread, the garlic bread was made and put in the oven, and the smell of, of the garlic bread toasting. Mm. And then the best thing, even better than the, the pasta, was just like that garlic bread sopping up that homemade spaghetti sauce was just nothing better than that. So yeah, Damn. that's got, and to this day, I love making my own garlic bread and feeding it to people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have it. Please eat the garlic bread. Oh man, that sounds so, so good. I'm yeah. so hungry right now. <laughs> <laughs> there's some good garlic bread in this town too. If you got to go out to some Italian restaurants, there's some good garlic bread around here. Good to know. Yeah. I might, I might ask you more about that later. Okay. So, on the theme of bread, tell us a beautiful or powerful or even challenging memory that includes bread 
And it doesn't have to be the favorite kind that you mentioned. I don't know if there's a challenging. You know, another another awesome bread memory, which is again has to do with garlic bread. I don't know if you've ever been to Bread and Puppet in, in Vermont, but it's an outdoor poetry festival. They still they still do things. I'm not sure what they're doing these days, but they used to have camping up there. This was back in the nineties. And you could go up there and one of, they had this big outdoor bread oven. And you just would go up and they were just making bread right there, putting it in the oven, pulling it out, just very unceremoniously chopping it up. And they had this big vat of olive oil and garlic. And they were just like, wow, this big brush. And they were just like slapping olive oil and garlic all over this just made bread. And you just stand there in this open field and eat it. And it was amazing. Yeah. That sounds really magical and like almost otherworldly. It was, yeah. <laughs> it was great. Like that sounds like the best, the best thing. Like what what a vision of beauty that must have been to, yeah. to experience that bread. And then there was poetry, you said as well. And there's poetry and a great poetry memory from that festival at the time. I got to meet one of my poetry heroes, uh, which was Galway Cannell who was still oh, alive at the time wow. and he lived in Vermont and I didn't know he was going to be there, but they had this little thing out in the woods and he showed up and read poetry and I got to shake his hand and just briefly talk to him. And what an amazing experience yeah. you know, to meet Galway Cannell. And so, and now he's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so many poetry grades are, you know, we, they passed and we miss them, but they've definitely left an impact on us and we, we carry that. But that's lovely that you got to to meet him. Mm -hmm. He's he was, is a legend, He's, you know. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So what brought you to poetry in the first place? Like how did you find poetry? How did poetry find you? When did you start writing? I feel like poetry found me because it wasn't I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't exposed to it. I was in my late teens and I had finished high school barely and high school wasn't a great experience for me. I felt like I didn't really learn anything. Mm -hmm. And I was just sitting there at home one day and I just felt compelled to write something. And I nobody made me do it. I never did it before. I just got up, went to the junk drawer, you know, with little post-it notes and yeah. and a pencil and I went outside and I wrote my first poem. And after that, I was like, I loved how it made me feel and, and what it kind of did for me. And I just kept doing it. And then my parents got a computer, like one of those first computers. This was pre-internet <laughs> in the 80s. And it's just those green screens. It's basically like a typewriter with a screen. Yes. And it's just word processing. But I, I would stay up late typing all my poems into it and saving them onto a floppy disk. Ooh, floppy disks. <laughs> I wish I still had those floppies, but I, those are going, <laughs> there's nowhere to put them anymore anyway. Uh, so, but yeah, I, so that was the first time and I just kept doing it. So. Wow. I love that. Yeah. Do, you, do you remember what like your first poem was about? I do. I don't, it was bad. <laughs> It was bad. It was it. It was very sad, and it rhymed a lot. That's okay. But I I sort of remember some of the lines. It was like I was just observing things, and it was like there was a horse-drawn carriage that went by, and I was like horse-drawn carriage clopping by, little birds up high, see how free they fly. <laughs> but then uh, and then it was but but why oh why must good feelings die? 
And oh. so I was, that's where I was at the time. I was sort of sad, you know? And, yeah. And so, and that was helping me sort of say it out loud in some way. But, and there were some squirrels in there and I was just watching stuff in front of, in my front yard or whatever at my parents' house when I was a teenager. So, yeah, but it was a good, I wish I still had the whole thing, but it was a good introduction and yeah, I just kept going. Mm. Yeah. And why, oh, why must they die? die? Why, oh, why must good feelings die? Yeah. Oh, just like a dagger to the heart, yeah. Mike. <laughs> Such a sad kid. I mean, I was also a sad kid, yeah. but yeah, I, I think poetry has been, you know, an outlet for us to explore those those yeah. feelings and and to think about them in in depth and record them and express them in a way that you know at least like gets them out of our body out of our minds and right. hearts and onto the page right seeing it on the paper was a big deal you know um and then it's like i had it and i could put it over here and now i had one and then i did another and then i started buying notebooks and filling up the notebooks and yeah and i loved having a record it was almost like a, even like a a timeline like i kind of look at and it as as like I can go back, I can remember exactly where I was and who I was at that at that time, you know. So mm. helps me keep track of my life. <laughs> yeah, and you still have those notebooks? Some of those so later I was able to take a lot of what was in there and put it I have some of them in a computer file. The notebooks are gone. Yeah. You know? mm. They got lost in the midst of time. Yeah. But I still have some of them. But but still going. It's like still writing, still recording my life with them, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I, I feel like my, my journals, my notebooks have been similar and I can, you know, remember where I was or what I was experiencing during those times when, you know, I was writing, whether I was writing about, you know, the Backstreet Boys or, you know, a crush in school or then, you know, mental illness. It was just, it's all mm -hmm. there. And yeah, it's, it's lovely to have that, you know, to, to look to look back on and to see how much growth mm -hmm. we have yeah. you know made we know how much we've grown right so you brought a Lee Young Lee poem to share with us today oh, mm -hmm. yes is there anything we should know about the poem before you read it to us I don't I I love Lee Young Lee he's one of my favorites my good friend Mike Albert turned me on to him and I don't know that. It's a challenging poem to me. I'm not sure what I'm going to say about it. <laughs> That's okay. Lee Young Lee, his writing is so mysterious to me, and it's kind of like a magic trick. But I could just read it, and is that you want me to do that? Yeah. All right. Read it for us whenever you're ready. All right. So this is called Trading for Heaven by Lee Young Lee. I saw you at the top of the stairs. Now I live a secret life. I saw you holding open the door. Now I'm filling pages with things I can't tell anyone. Now I'm more alone than I've ever been. I traded every beyond, every someday, for heaven in my lifetime. Now I'm dying of my life. Now I'm alive inside my death. Do you see the space between our bodies? Barely a hand, hardly a breath. It is the space mountains and rivers are made of. It is the beginning of oceans. The space between either and or, both and neither. The happiness of forgetting our names and the happiness of hearing them for the first time. I heard you singing yourself to sleep. It was a song from both our childhoods. And now I don't know if singing is a form of helplessness, time's architecture revealed, or some inborn motive all blood and breath obey 
to enact a savage wheel. I found you at dawn, sitting by the open kitchen window. You were sorting seeds in a plate. And if you were praying out loud, I'll never tell. And if you were listening to the doves, and if their various wooing and cooing and dying in time are your earliest questions blown back to you through the ragged seasons, and if you've lived your life in answer to those questions, I'll never tell. Your destiny is safe with me. Your childhood is safe with me. What you decide to bury is safe with me. Beautiful. Thank you so much for reading that. Hmm. So why this poem? Why bring this poem into us? And I guess, what about this poem is important to you? It, like so many good poems, it just, it kicks me right out of linear thinking, first of all. And, but I love, it's a, it's a love poem to me, but it's a very mature love poem. It's not a fantasy of, about love. And the way, you know, you, the way we can see each other so, so fully and darkly, you know, um, but the whole thing about the secrets, living a secret life, filling pages with things I can't tell anyone. It's like, how do you describe love? How do you describe life? You, you can't really. It's, right. So he's talking around it. He's not really saying what it is. But that, that ending too of this is what we, in love, we provide with, for each other, this sort of safety. Your destiny is safe with me. Your childhood is safe with me. What you decide to bury is safe. You know, I just think that's so beautiful. Like that is, that's, it's like another way of saying I love you. It, you know, yeah. it's like, I got you. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to hurt you. And I feel like we all want that. Yeah. It's beautiful. I could talk about it for a long, long time, but <laughs> I won't. Yeah. That definitely the last stanza really does stand out. And I think it encompasses that, that feeling that Lee Youngly is trying to convey to us, you know, your childhood is safe with me. What you decide to bury is safe with me. And when we love someone, when we care for them, we see all of them. We see all of hmm. those childhood wounds that, yeah. you know, we've been told about in therapy that we need to heal from. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what I've been told. So you see your partner at their most vulnerable. Exactly. And you get to be that line that I don't know if singing is a form of helplessness. Like that is wow, such a powerful line that you can see someone could be singing, but it you you also see their pain. You see the full spectrum of their being and, and everything they do. The sorting seeds by the window, you know, and but you see their whole childhood and you see everything. You, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's yeah. But to just to say you're this is safe. Like I just think that's beautiful. You're safe mm-hmm. with me. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's so it's so intimate. The the line. Do you see the space between our bodies? Barely a hand. Hardly a breath. It is a space mountains and rivers are made of. So first he's saying, you know, do you, see the, do you see the space between our bodies, which is barely a hand or hardly a breath? But then it's like, it's also the space that mountains and rivers are made of, which right. is huge. So it's this, this, this intimacy that, you know, it, you're so close to this person, but also this intimacy is so, it's so grand. It's so yeah. vast. Connected to everything else. You know, and I don't think before I ever read this poem, I think when I first read it, I realized, oh, I haven't, I haven't experienced this yet. I haven't had this, even though I had already been married for 15 years and now I've been divorced almost as long as I've been married. And I can say now 
with the partner I have now that I do know what this means. And but it took a long time to get there. That's beautiful. to really be able to live this sort of thing, you know, that he's talking about in there. Yeah, I I think when when I think about you know our our lives and like what our purpose is here on Earth, I mean, I at least for me, it's it's about connection. It's about it's about love, whether it's romantic love or you know friendship or family. It's it's love. Like what else yeah. is it? <laughs> right, and it's complicated and it's so nuanced. But you know, when you're younger, you have you have fantasies about love and what it is, and then life is this process of sort of breaking you of your delusions <laughs> about it and getting down to something real. And not just with relationships, but even just the world and politics and religion and all the ways that people try to kind of control reality and and help or fight or whatever. It's like every it's so much more the truth is so much more nuanced. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have but we have to grow into that. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that poem says all that to me, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. I'm curious, and also, like, maybe this is just a question to think about for yourself or for listeners to think about for themselves. But what, what have you? What have we decided to bury? What, what is that? That made of? What does that look like? What are we burying? What are you burying? There's a, that makes me think of. There's a, a Peter Gabriel song called "Digging in the Dirt." I think that's what it was called. But the line is, I'm digging in the dirt to find the places that we got hurt. And I think we bury so much, but just because we buried it doesn't mean it's gone mm. and that it comes back. These things come back up and we have to kind of, when you really feel safe, that's when that stuff comes up and you start digging in the dirt again and finding those places that you got hurt and they come up for review again. If you're not careful, they can ruin things. Yes. You know, but if you do it with love and compassion that you can sort of work through all that stuff and you don't you don't realize sometimes how much you've buried until I, I feel like at this point in my life now, like, oh my God, so much was buried. And it keeps coming back up. <laughs> You're like, oh, <laughs> Won't <man>. stay <laughs> down there, but that's it's okay. Like I wanna look at it. So Yeah. Yeah. That's look at all of it. That's a really empowering statement, like I want to look at it. I want to look at it and all. I want her to look at it and you and every, you know, I want everybody to do that, you know, mm-hmm. like, and let's make it okay to do that, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And that's a tying into beat night and poetry readings and open mics. And it's like, that's part of why all of that is sacred to me, like keeping that microphone open for yes. anybody. Anybody can come in and you can get up and you can be vulnerable and talk about the stuff you buried or whatever is going on and and just let everyone hear it. And you're going to be applauded and you're going to be embraced and no one's going to judge you. And that's really important. You know, that's, that's like a, that's sacred. Yeah. And that's, that's true community too, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's poetry that's, that's building that, you know, thinking about the mission. And I, I see that mission, you know, clearly playing out in, what you do in the community and like continue to do and will like can do in the future. Like I, I see that and it's, you know, really something that I admire and, you know, as poet laureates <laughs> in this little room of mine right now recording this, like I, uh, I, I see that and I see, you know, how seriously you've taken this position, how you took this position, how you continue to 
to do these things even after, you know, having been the poet laureate, you continue to, you know, really put the community at the forefront and provide a space for them. And that's that's definitely something to admire. And like I want to build upon that and and continue that that legacy of of building community. Yeah. And and you are and and the thing that again that I didn't realize till later cuz and this is typical I think of poets is they often not often maybe all the time we're writing by yourself and right. it's a solitary thing and I never went to a poetry reading till I was 30 years old but I had been writing since I was a teenager wow and that first time which was at the press room at beat night and that first time I did it I realized something that oh this process the writing process isn't finished until I read it to somebody, until I share it with this community, or even just one other person. But that the sharing of it is so necessary to the process, and it was such a big deal to me. And I, again and again at, at, at other at readings, you see when somebody gets up there and reads for the first time in their life, and I, I see myself in that, and I know how hard their heart is pounding at that moment. I know what a big deal it is to be standing there and sharing that thing with the with the community and and how important it is that they get a warm reception and yeah it's I live for that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I found this Lee Young Lee quote online and it's from an interview in 2008 with the Literary Arts in Portland, Oregon and uh he was talking about the poems that he read which happened to be Trading for Heaven was one of them and I really just want to read this quote and maybe just, you know, talk about it. Or, I mean, I feel like we've already touched on it, but he just says this so beautifully. I just had to share. So he says, before you fall in love, before you find somebody who loves you, you're isolated and terrified and lonely. Then you fall in love and you are overwhelmed and inhabited by giant feelings and thoughts and cosmic sized angels walking in and out of you. And you can't articulate these feelings to anybody. And then you find that you can't even articulate them to the beloved, and you're more lonely than when you started. But I have a theory about that. Romantic love may be, ultimately, supposed to bring you to a place where you can encounter God. It's a way to wean you from the world, and then from the beloved, the mortal beloved, to discover an immortal beloved. But I might be wrong. End does quote. he say I might be wrong? He does. He does say. He does say, but I might be wrong. I, love, I mean, wow. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And that he's not just connecting it to the mountains and the rivers now. He's he's going beyond. But mm -hmm. yeah, maybe the personal relationship can be a microcosm of that macro relationship between yourself and God, divinity, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Exactly. Or, uh, or even a greater connection to yourself. And I mean, I think that's, that's, mm -hmm. I mean, I believe that we're spiritual beings, regardless of what religion we believe in or anything like that. But spirituality means to me, it's synonymous with connection, whether it's connection with something that's outside of you, a higher power of some sort, or something within you and, you know, to the people around you. And to me, I can see that as, you know, learning to love a, you know, another person, a beloved then allows us and gives us permission to then encounter ourselves and love ourselves. And that to me was what I took away from that quote. It just, and I mean, that is the, the lesson of life for me. I'm like, whoa, 
there we go. That's it. Like he hit it on the nose. (laughs) You just hit it on the nose. (laughs) There's nothing I can add. No, that's beautiful. Well, what you can add for us is your own poem. Oh, yeah. Is there anything you want to tell us about this poem before you read it to us? So this poem, I've been working on a new book, which is about sort of the last 15 years from divorce to now. And And sort of the journey through a bunch of different relationships and uh, kind of like in what you were just saying, not just, oh, finding the right person, but it's all the growth that I went through and finding myself, loving myself. This poem sort of takes what Lee Young Lee just said and maybe explodes it a little bit. And I'll read it and then I have more to say about that. So I'll, I'll, I'll read this. In the doorway. I can see where your story is leading because I was there 17 years ago, bargaining with love. We're out here drinking in the doorway of this church because you don't want to go home to your kind but complacent husband. You're starving for new memories, for the motion of those polyamorous stars above us. With our cans of wine and paper bags, I can imagine the priest who had the church built hundreds of years ago talking to the devil because the devil always visits new churches. I bet they sat right here, swilling the blood of Christ, talking about God and the fall from Eden, and the devil said to the priest, you like it better outside the church, don't you? From here, you can see all the way to heaven. Perfect. Yeah. So the thing that the way this uh, attaches to the Lee Young Lee is, yes, love, but then I feel like we all have this sort of this dichotomy. We want love and we want we crave safety, security, sameness, you know, whether it's relationships or or religion or whatever it is, but that we also have this sort of creative fire that wants to break free of of all of it, of all the constraints. And in this poem, I, I had already been through my own divorce, and I was now sitting with this friend of mine who was now going also through a divorce, and we were talking about it. And she was it was almost like there wasn't necessarily a problem. She just felt like she wasn't ready for whatever it was and that she just she needed to, to break free from it. And like I said, she was starving for new memories. You know, maybe she was too young, like I think I was too. But that this speaks to that that dichotomy, I think that's in everybody that of that craving for security and safety, but also the need to break free from it. And that I have found from for myself the more attentive I am to my creative self, like with writing or painting or whatever it is, that that satisfies that. Like I I notice sometimes still, like if I'm feeling antsy in my relationship, it's because I'm not attending to my creative self enough. And that when I can get to that, that satisfies. If I could tend that creative fire, that 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 calms me down, (laughs) you know. But the, the devil here in this poem, to me, the the devil is never really evil in a way. It's just like a the temptation in the sense of of asking you these questions of saying, really, you know, yeah, what do you really want? You know, what are you really doing here? You know, you know, is lighting a fire, yeah, under you yeah. to get you to ask some bigger questions. So, mm-hmm. yeah, wow, I love hearing the backstory of this of this poem, and now hearing that, like, I'm looking at this poem and that completely different way. But I was really interested in like your subverting of, you know, religious 
elements that we're so used to seeing. You know, we're used to seeing, you know, or hearing about the devil, the Garden of Eden, and, you know, the blood of Christ. And I just really like how you're subverting our expectations of that and also, you know, subverting our expectations of what of what heaven is too. Mm. Yeah. What I'm curious, like, what do you imagine heaven to be like? Do you believe in heaven? Or what what does heaven mean to you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> we ask the big questions I, here. Wow. I sort of imagine that the universe is a hierarchy of beings. We yeah. are one of them. One, we're at one stage, and that there are stages above this that we can grow into. Mm. You could say angels and demigods and gods and beyond, and you know whatever. There may be many, many layers to it all. But yeah, I just think, and and before us, you know, element, plant, animal, like, and we're somewhere between animal and angel, and that we're still evolving. You know, it's not a fixed thing, and that spiritually, there's. I think I think there's so much more than what we see and what our senses can sense, and that yeah, I think there's a lot of evolving to do, and that you know maybe one day we'll all be angels looking down compassionately at all the humans struggling on Earth mm. or some other world or whatever. But yeah, and we're all somewhere on that spectrum of of spiritual evolution, and this we're just one temporary form after another, you know? Yeah. Wow. I love that. Somewhere between animal and angel. I had to write it down. You should write it down. That should be in a poem. I did write it down somewhere. Okay, good. Because I think it is in a poem. <laughs> okay, good, good. Because that just was, that was like, whoa, wow. Yeah, we are somewhere between animal and angel. And then like the alliteration just got, so anyway, yeah. that's, that's beautiful and beautiful to think about how we are constantly evolving and that we one day might reach you know, a level of, of, of angel, whatever that, whatever that means. But I think the way that you, you, you know, represented it or, or, or pictured it is that an angel is just someone full of, or a being of some sort full of compassion and empathy. Mm -hmm. And like, isn't that what we're trying to do as humans? Like right. that's our goal is like how to be more empathetic and compassionate right. to those around us. Right. How can we be more, you know, compassionate towards ourselves and like, to be an angel is to reach a level in which you can do that easily. Like it's second nature and you don't have mm -hmm. to think about it. Yeah. I I love I love that that definition and that picture that you painted. Yeah, I like the way you just described it too. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of painting, you are a painter. Uh-huh. Tell us about your paintings. Oh. I yeah. Tell us more. <laughs> well, yeah. At, you can see almost most of those paintings that spacebstudio.com. I'm not really selling anything there, but I just put all my artwork and stuff there. I have a thing for bees. We talked about there were bees in the window when we yes, first earlier. came into this room, yeah. uh, which I thought was a great little omen because I, I paint a lot of bees and I've been, I've been working on a children's book for a long time about a bee. And so, yeah, I just got to... And, but also the bee story has let me get into painting other, other animals, just nature. I love... It, it was just an excuse to paint all of this moons and clouds and foxes and crows. And, and they're all in this book, which you can see most of those paintings. So the book, the book is being worked on, but I'm also working on a tarot deck. Oh, And so, and just the major ar arcana right now, which I've completed, uh, which is just 22 cards. 
so that's another project that that's taken a long time to do just but i that just gives me an excuse to paint yeah you know <laughs> the subject matter and symbolism and all this stuff and the the tarot i love is is also it's about that spiritual journey you know mm, exactly um, of awakening yeah oh, i love how i I did not know you were a painter. I knew that you were a visual artist of some sort, but I didn't know like what medium you worked in. And that's beautiful that you, that you're a painter and that you're able to, you know, create in several ways, you know, not just with words, but also with, with paint visually, you can paint that picture and you can, you know, yeah, I. It's really challenging and really satisfying. And, and usually almost every time when I start a painting, there's like this wave of, of, kind of imposter syndrome and stuff that comes mm -hmm. like, what am I doing? It looks terrible. Oh, do I, you know, but then I keep doing it. I keep working at it. Eventually it comes to life and I'm like, oh, and there's like this such intense satisfaction with it. Yeah. So I'm curious if you've ever, you know, written a poem or sorry, written a poem about a painting or the other way around, you know, you have a poem and you have a painting, you know, kind of like if, you know, thinking about, the previous episode with Jonathan Riley, you know, something like an ekphrastic poem. Have you ever done something like that? Well, the the poet laureate before you, Tammy, she one of her projects was getting poets and painters together to and using a Japanese style of, of poetry to uh, create just what you're talking about. And so John Michael Albert, he wrote a poem, and then yeah, and we put those together, and that was such a fun project to do. Mm. Yeah, that's it's really fun. But the children's book too is kind of like that because I wrote the story and now I have to figure out how do you tell the story with the pictures, you know, with the images. So Right. Yeah. It's it's very satisfying. Well, I can't wait to fun. I can't wait to see this children's book about a bee. Yeah. I mean, I'm afraid of bees, but I think the bee in your book will be just fine. I think I'll be safe. It's it's okay. Yeah. She's she's nice. <laughs> Does she have a name? Gina. Gina the bee? Gina. Oh. I picked Gina because I I never had a daughter, but I always thought if I had a daughter, I would have named her Gina. So I just love that name. So but oh. so now I've have Gina the bee. She is your daughter. She's, she's my daughter. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I think like my my book, Ugly Music, that's my that's my baby. I it's, yeah. it's it's a labor of love and you know it is. there's Gina. Right, right there for you. You're birthing it into the world and yeah, making it real. So that's so beautiful and tender and mm. lovely. Wow, I'm learning so much about you today. Oh good. <laughs> I love this. I'm glad there's something new there. <laughs> oh yeah. So so many new things. Oh wow. I mean, we could keep going and going, but now is the time for the gluten-free segment or glutton-free as I like to call it. Ooh. Where we leave you with a little morsel you don't need to feel guilty about indulging in. Usually a writing prompt related to the poems we've heard or topics we've discussed. So, Mike, what do we have for the people today? And we can also like think this through. Well, I was thinking with like that Lee Young Lee poem, what I love about it, and maybe in general, what I love about poetry is that you can you can he's just talking about something without going directly at it. And I I feel like that's that's always the challenge is to not explain anything, but he's giving you all this incredible imagery, mm -hmm. and that's why you you come away with it from it like oh this is a love poem, but he doesn't he's not saying I love you so much or right. he's not you know doing that he's talking all around it that's 
that's the challenge. If I was gonna, if I was gonna give people a prompt, it's like pick anything in anything, even just the cat or whatever is in front of you, and write about it without talking about without saying the word cat. <laughs> yeah. Or 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 don't talk about what the cat's doing, but create symbolism mm -hmm. around it. Mm -hmm. And talk about it without talking about it. That's that's yeah. a fun little challenge. Yeah, is that good? <laughs> uh, yeah, that is that is that's awesome. Yeah, I think like even just like writing a, a love poem, like a, the love poem to the cat, or a love right. poem to a person, someone that you hold dear, and like not using the word love. And I think like I feel like you've also, in a way, here this is also a love poem that that you've written. Do you, do you feel that way, that your poem is also a love poem? This one, yeah, it is, because I'm trying to, that's, we're breaking away from it, but also still looking for it. Mm -hmm. And what is it? And that, as we've already discussed, like that sort of how it's connected to everything else. Like, what, I love what you said earlier, too, about the relationship with God and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's not easy to do. Love but if, if you're writing a Hallmark card, <laughs> it's very easy. Oh, yes. To write, you know, but writing a poem by sort of really kind of just dancing around the thing instead of going right at it. That's that's the challenge. Mm -hmm. You know, what does love look like? Right. You know? Yeah. Like even thinking about Lee Young Lee's poem, thinking about like you, you were sorting seeds in a plate. Like what is your beloved doing? What mundane activity is your beloved right. doing? And how can you put that into a love poem. I think that I think that really that little moment shows so much love just observing the, right. the beloved sorting seeds and that's something that I would, you know, suggest people try is 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 putting like those little mundane elements that almost, you know, in a way like you see them all the time but let them stand out in this poem as something that's like so special and 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 intimate that could easily be overlooked, but we're finally, you know, really zeroing in and paying attention to it. I think that's, I think that's love in itself is Spain is, is sorry. I think that's love in itself, just paying, you know, special attention right. to those small moments. And uh, the other thing that I, I feel like over time that I, I've understood more and more is like really trusting your reader or whoever's listening to sort of get it without explaining things you know mm. because the moment you start reading something you're that person's imagination is being activated and you, you have to leave room for them to bring themselves into it you know whatever exactly you're just you're triggering them you're gently triggering them <laughs> triggering memories and stuff you don't want to sit there and just explain how you feel it's like like the genius of this poem lee young lee's poem is that it's He's giving you all this imagery and it invokes all this feeling. And it's not that you can perfectly describe it or anything, but you're feeling. It's causing you to feel things. And that's that's the best it can do, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. trust your reader. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Take them on the journey, but don't give them all the information. Don't give them everything. Right. <laughs> We're withholding here. Don't, you know. <laughs> like so often you probably have the same experience where like that last stanza of a poem, like you go back later and you go, oh, I went too far. Right. You know, I said a little too much and you get, that's the whole kill your darlings thing, I think. Right. But uh, mm -hmm. yeah, 
Mm-hmm. That happens in the editing process. Sometimes the first draft is too much. Oh, that's wonderful. Perfect. So listeners, if you write a poem using the prompts we've suggested, we ask that you hold onto it and soon we will be making a call for submissions to not only share some of these poems on future episodes, but also publish them as part of an anthology. More information on that soon. So just a quick update since this recording, we are now accepting submissions for the Bread and Poetry Anthology. So please submit your poems to pplpsubmissions at gmail.com, or you can submit using the form linked in the show notes on our Instagram bio at Bread and Poetry Podcast, or on my website at dnlliantigua.com. As a reference, you can also find a link in the show notes and on Instagram to an archive of the writing prompts on each episode so far. So, Mike, anything you'd like to promote in the area, community highlights of any sort? Just is any whoever doesn't know about Beat Night should come to Beat Night. Yeah. Right? Tell them where and when. The, the third Thursday of the month. It's been happening for the last 23 years. It's now at Book and Bar. So, yeah, you should come to, come to Beat Night. If you're a poet and you've never read before, you know, do it. Mm-hmm. Come to Beat Night. And also the... The Hoot reading, which is start up again in September, the first Wednesday of every month. So also that, which we're not sure where its home is going to be yet, but there'll be more information about that coming. But, you know, write your poems and then read them to us, please. Right. Perfect. Where can people find you and your work? You could probably go to hivepoetry.com and that from there, that connects to the other, my little publisher, the V Monk Press, and then Space B Studio. And you can just, there's a lot of stuff there to check out. Perfect. Awesome. So thank you again, Mike, for, for joining us. This was a lovely conversation, like actually lovely, because we were talking about love. Love. Right. A lot of love. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you, Dianelli. It was such a pleasure and an honor to be here. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. This has been Bread and Poetry Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Bread and Poetry Podcast and Twitter at Bread Poetry Pod. Please rate, review, and subscribe to keep this thing kicking. This podcast is sponsored by the Portsmouth Poet Laureate Program. Follow them on Instagram at PPLPNH. Please consider making a donation at pplp.org donate to help fund this volunteer-run nonprofit and its mission to further build community through poetry. Cover art for this podcast is by Najee Brown, and theme music is by Stu Diaz. Stay tuned for more episodes of Bread and Poetry, because truly, who doesn't love bread? And who doesn't love poetry? Until then, my dear ones. suddenly felt like I had to get out of there. And so I left. I left the house and I walked out into the little area and I looked back at the house and I looked up and I thought I saw a kid in the window. <gasps> yep. My heart. Oh my God. And and then I just kept thinking, but the stairs are walled off. So no one could go up there. And I'm like, and then it was just kind of, it was like a flash. It was just like, and it was, gone. Like I looked away and then I looked back and it was not there. But I felt 
that that oppressive feeling that that was what was really really terrifying and years and years and years later as an adult i have gone back to that house many times mm. and when i used to live in town like at night i would ride my bike over there and i would just sit and i would look at that house and i'm like i want to where where's and then nothing i would see nothing and feel nothing mm. but anyway that's my little portsmouth ghost story well maybe it was like a one-time ghost blessing or blessing i don't know if blessing is the word but you know i don't know maybe <laughs> there are there are many other ghost stories i can tell you years, that happened years later <laughs> oh wow so maybe it's you like they they feel comfortable visiting you maybe it's me yeah they want you to tell their story. Trying. <laughs> Just leave me alone. <laughs> Stop haunting me. <laughs> <laughs>